Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights Call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I'm pleased to present Charles Prido and Frank Torman. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you very much indeed, operator, and hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, be it live or download or via the podcast. Um, we much appreciate it, and I hope that you find these calls interesting. Uh, and Frank, um, welcome to you. Great to have you from the Global Equity team. Um, and as always, timely to get your insight uh, around how you're navigating uh, the world as we see it. Let me just begin by giving a little bit of a kind of recap. Um, essentially, the tone to markets has continued um, on a year-to-date basis to be a broadly positive one um, after the uh, very uh, weak environment that we saw in Q4, and particularly the latter part of Q4, which, of course, has um, impacted client sentiment uh, globally. Um, but we've seen this, uh, this rebound, you know, give or take. Markets are up between 4 or 5% uh, year-to-date. Um, and quite interesting to see you know, what's, uh, what's led that, whether it's the specific performance of shares uh, like Boeing um, or the partial rebound of, of some um, tech stocks, for example. We can get into that in, in a moment. In terms of, um, I think, the interesting news flow over the last week, um, I would divide it into two. One, it's kind of ongoing uh, hope uh, around U.S. Uh, and China trade talks. Um, there's lack of specifics at this point. Um, and I think markets are vulnerable um, if that rhetoric turns uh, more negative. I think there's a level of optimism now kind of built in that the, it's either going to be kicked down the can. Uh, sorry, kicked down the can. The can is going to be kicked down the road is what I'm trying to say. Um, or um, uh, there'll be anything in a concrete uh, amount. Um, the, um, the second dimension, I think, which has helped markets, but of course there's a slight flip side to this, and that is central bank uh, rhetoric. Um, the most obvious of which, which has been covered on previous calls, has been the about turn that came from Jerome Powell. And I remind you, you know, key central expectations that we will have one more uh, rate increase um, uh, in June, um, but um, will pass in March. Um, uh, but that's been followed by other uh, dovish comments from other uh, central banks uh, around the world. And that reflects a growing concern about growth. And of course, um, on the one hand, that's positive in terms of supporting uh, valuations, supporting uh, liquidity, which is a good thing. But on the other, they're nervous about growth. Um, and as we'll get into when talking about earnings, um, clearly we need growth to help underpin earnings. We are relatively late cycle. Uh, and you look at the German Bund, um, the 10-year, which is now sub 0.15 again, um, and that has, and I've talked about this a little bit in the past in terms of Germany echoing aspects to Japan, um, that's, you know, if interpreted very negatively, augurs for uh, low growth and disinflationary forces, which are potentially challenging for uh, risk assets. So that's the dynamic um, uh, that is out there at the moment. Um, let me just flag um, uh, some thought leadership pieces, uh, talking point pieces uh, to look out for. Um, Azad published um, on how Brexit uncertainty is weighing on UK, UK GDP growth, a particularly weak monthly number that came out uh, very recently. I commend that to you. Um, there is also, please forgive me if this sounds self-promotional, um, there's an infographic that's been done on the inescapable truths 
um, casting the macro framework that we've been talking about um, uh, globally. Um, and uh, thinking about the focus on uh, the, the capabilities of emerging markets and China, um, uh, there's a piece why China's recent slowdown may be more pronounced than investors realize. Uh, look out for that. That's from Craig Botham. Um, and then thinking about sustainability, um, the wonderfully captioned Sugar in 2019, the current state of play um, by Elie Irving. And then this is looking at the risks we predicted in 2015, which have now materialized, and how we consider sugar risk within our investment process um, and what enables us to enable us uh, to identify industry leaders in that context. So um, uh, some interesting pieces coming out. Please look out for those. But Frank, um, uh, welcome. Uh, very, nice, very nice to have you here again. Um, so let's, can we dig straight into what I teed up a moment ago, which is the, the earnings season. Um, we're you know, a long way through it now in the U.S. at the moment. What's your overall commentary on uh, the earnings season thus far? Yeah, thanks for the question, Charles, and it's, uh, it's great to be back here. Uh, so by far the most important thing uh, I currently spend my days on is the, the fourth quarter reporting season. Just to give you a, a quick sense, um, looking at the S&P 500 in the United States, uh, 340 of the 500 companies have reported, so we're about two-thirds through. Um, looking at the stocks 600 here in Europe, about 150 uh, of the 600 companies have reported. So as as often, we're a bit slower in, in, in Europe, but the numbers so far, and I would, let me refer to numbers um, uh, in the S&P 500 because I think those are a bit cleaner, I would describe the earnings season as um, as decent, and, and what I mean by that there are two things to point out. One, again, uh, we're at record profitability. So the fourth quarter, again, has shown strong year-over-year -year growth, um, approximately seven percentage point growth in revenues, which has translated into roughly 15% uh, growth year-on-year -year in earnings per share. Um, as I said, both of those are records. Nevertheless, um, we're seeing a distinct slowdown um, well, yes. what, what's, the, what's the outlook? What are the forward-looking statements indicating? Um, so the, um, the forward um, expectations are actually being um, revised lower, uh, very materially so. Just to give you, maybe frame that in numbers, uh, if you go back three or four months ago, the expectation was for earnings per share of the S&P 500 to be roughly 10%. For 2019, and that number um, has come down to around five percent, so it's halved in just in just four months' time, and I would be surprised if it stays there. So I would expect negative revisions to continue. Case in point, if we look at the first quarter of 2019, um, expectations for earnings per share growth has actually um, just dipped negative year over year, right. um, which I think is really meaningful. It's the first time in, in a long while in this profit cycle so put, put where simply, we're expecting profit declines. Right. So in that sense, the average company is going to struggle. Indeed. Um, Indeed. Well, with struggle, we're still at record profit margins. So, right. So, but exactly. So, so we're at historically high profitability, which is fantastic. But at, at some point, the, the law of large numbers kicks in, and it becomes ever more difficult to further improve profit margins. And um, 
and, and let's focus in on that margin um, word because, of course, margins stem from revenues. And you've talked about the top line um, in the latest reporting season up seven percent, very, uh, you know, very strong, and of course, aided and abetted by the fiscal stimulus um, that's now beginning to taper off. And I think that's one of the issues, probably. Um, but revenue is one thing; costs are another. Um, and we've talked about the robust employment data in the States on recent calls, um, but the corollary of that is quite sticky uh, wage inflation. How do you see from a margin perspective, and you've talked about you know, a, a flat kind of prognosis potentially overall um, for, for earnings, a function of margins, um, uh, do you think that um, that squeeze um, is going to get more pronounced from here in terms of do we think do you think we've you know, peak margin in that sense? Um, in in one word, yes. So uh, if you remember when we when we last spoke a few months ago, we talked about two cost pressures: one being on the on the commodity uh, material side, and the the second one being labor costs. Yeah. In terms of in terms of commodities, I actually feel a bit more sanguine um, that that um, cost and pressure sector has been pretty weak too. Has if anything is, is it tends is, looks like it's stabilizing, um, but the one that certainly is not is our labor cost pressures. Um, and uh, the, these labor cost pressures are, have really um, fed its way through the entire economy. So really every, everything from, from um, high-skilled to low-skilled um, labor is, um, is, is, is in very short supply. And as a result, um, wage pressures are building. And, and that's echoed by, um, by almost all the companies that we speak to. So um, we will have seen, therefore, a material, de if you think about what the market, and I touched on this last time I chatted with Alex Tedder, that um, clearly uh, there's been valuation compression because it's a very robust earnings picture that you've just described, you've just, you know, the peak, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, the performance um, of the market um, in 2018 was significantly lower than that earnings performance you've just described. So we've had that valuation compression. Um, so in a sense, that's good news in terms of, of where we start from. Um, but my, my guess from this, therefore, is that uh, this is therefore making stock selection very, very important in this environment in terms of those companies that can still demonstrate earnings resilience, earnings growth, uh, against this much more difficult or tricky um, aggregate average background. Well, yeah, yes, indeed. And, and let me maybe speak to the the your last point first. Is um, th this environment which we've described as one where on aggregate growth is slowing, profitability is at a peak. Um, I am I am convinced that companies that demonstrate the ability to continue to surprise positively and show positive growth surprises will be an increasing uh, scarcity and as a result uh, should be increasingly reported by the market. So uh, I, I, I'm hopeful, I think, this is going to be a year where stock picking um, will be rewarded. So, so in that context, companies that show those characteristics of being able to have resilience um, uh, show earnings growth despite the environment, if you like, uh, if anything, you can see the valuations expand on those. Quite aside from them being relative, certainly on the relative basis. Yeah. So, so let's dig into um, maybe your strategy in that context. Um, which, um, you know, which sectors, or indeed which opportunities within the sectors, would you highlight as satisfying the criteria you've just described? Yeah. So the most important thing to say is that um, we, we don't spend much time 
thinking about top down. So the 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 strategy is driven by by um, bottom up by companies by bottom up stock picking, and so um, these the the sector weights are a reflection of that. Um, but let me pick one. Um, the current largest overweight sector that um, that we have is healthcare, um, and uh, and it's a good illustration because on aggregate, if anything. We are of the view that going um, is getting a bit more difficult in healthcare. There are increasing pressures uh, in pharmaceutical pricing, for example, is one of the few areas in the United States where Republicans and Democrats seem to agree. So I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> right. Uh, indeed. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if there is increasing pressure on that. Nevertheless, um, we're able to find uh, a few companies where the um, the product uh, launches and product development pipeline uh, are exceptionally exciting. Um, I'm happy to give an example. Please. Uh, so there's um, one stock, Eli Lilly, is uh, is, uh, is is uh, our largest holding in in pharmaceuticals. And the reason I'm really excited about that is for two reasons. Um, they have um, they have one um, new um, diabetes drug in the market, and the reason it's it's very novel and exciting. Is because this uh, what's called GLP-1 um, treatment delays the need for the patient um, to go on insulin treat treatment. So these are um, diabetic um, type two patients for the most part, and uh, at, at the point in the treatment cycle when they when they when insulin treatment is required, um, it's quite harmful for for the long-term patient. Life really so by by being able to postpone that uh, it materially increases the the life expectancy of these patients and uh, it's it's a it's a product that's um, uh, resonates uh, really really well with doctors and patients. The second um, uh, drug uh, is still in development uh, and if anything is even more exciting. So as I'm sure you're aware, there is a, a growing um, and very very frightening opi opioid epidemic in the United States. I mean, just to frame this with numbers, um, the Center of Disease Control estimates that last year there were 70,000 opioid um, drug overdoses resulting in death. 70,000 is more than the 60,000 people, Americans, that died in the Vietnam War. So it's, it's, I think it's correct to call this an epidemic. And the reason this is happening is for a good part because physicians in the U.S. are very, very liberal in prescribing opium-based pain uh, pain treatments for for lots of conditions. And then um, it's important these patients are addicted, and it's impossible to, for them to, to get off, and that's then, then they migrate to um, to harder versions of, of uh, opium. And the reason it's exciting. Um, for for Eli Lilly is because um, they have shown in clinical trials a, a, a novel pain medicine with uh, equal efficacy, which is not opioid-based. So you can get the same effect in terms of treating the pain, but no addiction. So I, we, I feel it's, it's a drug that will be really, really warmly embraced um, by the medical community and by patients. Good. Well, I, I think that, again, it's sort of what you're highlighting is the importance of, if you like, the, in this case, unfortunate with the opioids, in you know, a secular phenomenon that it can drive an individual security uh, and create a, a growth um, opportunity 
independent of the broader macro and, as you say, the political zeitgeist in terms of drug pricing, et cetera, et cetera, which might temper views on healthcare and aggregate, but there's still a stock-specific story. What about, um, uh, again, forgive me for referencing Alex again, but um, uh, always uh, enthusiastic about technology. What about technology mm. in the CapEx cycle? Yeah, so um, let me start with an, an, an aggregate observation that this slowdown in growth that I've described um, is perhaps driven by a more muted optimism by company CEOs. So in 2018, um, the entire economy, including the technology sector, profited from a very um, substantial capex cycle. Right. Well, we went into and, it in the best environment of global synchronized growth. Exactly, and that seems to be reversing somewhat. And as global capital spending, including spending on technology, um, is 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 slowing in some instances perhaps also declining the going for technology on average will also um, become a bit more difficult in 2019 nevertheless wherever the view that stock picking will be rewarded by identifying companies that shine through innovation and are um, delighting customers with uh, ever cleverer ways to solve problems um, speaking very general, right. um, should still have um, have a fantastic outlook. And any particular name you can you can provide to far listeners' imaginations? Yeah, two of them. Um, I'm happy to mention one um, is a company called Adobe Software. Right. Uh, they sell um, they sell creative software largely to professionals, um, and the company is in the sweet spot of uh, well in- increasing. Um, creative content being created digitally and and, and that digital experience um, being replicated in in a social media in, in a web-based environment and that all requires very smart software to want to create it but then to publish it and to manage it and uh, Adobe's become the the gold standard if you will in in that so we feel that the the growth outlook for that company and its software could just be very, very promising right. and underestimated by the market. The second one, perhaps, is, uh, is the company called Booking. The travel, which, travel booking. The travel booking, the website booking.com. Um, yeah. uh, it surprises a lot of um, listeners, perhaps, that 50% of global travel bookings, hotel bookings, are still done offline. Um, and okay. so... so one important driver is the ongoing migration from offline to online, but then even within online, booking is um, is furthering its competitive lead over over competitors, right. in that it's just become ever more seamless, uh, easy to use um, way of booking travel. Right. So again, it's a sort of secular shift, if you like, independent of of macro because it's about user shift and adoption uh, as well as being a leader within the kind of technology sphere itself. Yeah, I mean, global travel, certainly business travel, is a cyclical industry. So if things slow, the travel industry will feel it, uh, including them, but we feel that the secular shift is strong enough to compensate. To compensate, exactly. Frank, I'm afraid we're um, we're out of time, but very interesting. It's great to hear the kind of the the bottom-up stories. But if I could just sum up quickly for everybody... Uh, in essence, again, echoing what we've been hearing from a macro standpoint from, from Keith, um, you are concerned about the earnings outlook generally from here, having had such a robust uh, 2018, and can see a scenario where um, uh, year-on-year comps 
are negative, in the, certainly for the first part of, of this year, um, for the average uh, company. Um, but with that notwithstanding, um, you actually think it plays quite well to the team's philosophy in terms of bottom-up global stock picking. Uh, and you've highlighted um, a couple of uh, very strong examples in both uh, healthcare and technology, respectively, um, where there are individual issues the likes of Eli Lilly or the likes of uh, Booking.com, as we've just been discussing, uh, where there is the opportunity uh, to get above-average uh, returns um, based on underappreciation of the secular growth that's driving uh, those two entities. And that plays to why, in this environment, it actually is a huge advantage being an active uh, global stock picker, um, given, as we've, I think, perhaps been agreeing, uh, that the environment for aggregate beta, notwithstanding the improved position on a year-to-date basis, that the aggregate position for beta is likely to remain more challenged, given the late cycle environment that we're in uh, and the global economic uncertainty um, that is uh, fitting markets at the moment or gripping markets at the moment and which underpins why we've had some of this more circumspect rhetoric out of central banks globally over the last week. And with that, Frank, thank you very much indeed. We really appreciate your time um, on the call today. And um, good luck with the stock picking from here. And everybody, thank you very much again for listening. Operator, that concludes today's call. Thank you. Thank you. This does now conclude our call. Thank you all for attending. You may now disconnect your lines.